Hello, wonderful people. This is Jason English with Things About Things, simplifying concepts without sacrificing depth. Thanks for joining in for concept 18. Today's concept I'm calling critical thinking. We're going to be talking about problem solving, leadership principles, but I really want to focus on this phrase critical thinking. I'm here with my good friend David Cuthbert. Hey, David. Hey, Jason. Thanks man. for having me, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited because I know, I know some about your story that what sure. we're going to talk about, but I want to really zoom in on some stuff. There's really, I mean, there are a million aspects of you, I'm sure, sure. but three different seasons of your life, mm -hmm. at least professionally, yeah. that I want to focus on, and we'll just go slowly one at a time. You have a career, or three careers, but um, a legacy now, I think, of being a good leader, mm -hmm. but I feel like in our culture, the word leader or the word leadership is kind of a hard word to define. So trying to maybe think more critical thinking. Okay. But kind of your first tier of your career was in the military, yeah. right? Yeah. So what was that for you? What did you do? What kind of leadership role were you in? And then what are some things you learned from that in the realm of critical thinking? Yeah. Well, first, thanks for having me. Yeah, um, man. As you know, through conversation we've had, like yeah. these subjects are... Um, for what it's worth, extremely exciting to me. I mean, this yeah. is stuff I think about a lot. This is, these are uh, subjects that I contemplate a lot and have to kind of deal with in my, in my career and the different areas of my career. But to your question, uh, yeah, I started in the military. So I grew up in, in, in and around Philadelphia and went to the Naval Academy and then went on to 10 year career in Navy special operations. So leadership and critical thinking, um, it really entered my life pretty early, quite frankly. I mean, by when I was 18 and showed up at the Naval Academy, I mean, that was essentially the core message from day one was they were there and I was there to be trained as a leader or critical thinker, if you will. And they were there to do that. So, um, you know, the, the this this thing or this subject yeah. has really been a big part of my life since I've been 18 years old in, in a sort of in a professional training environment, if you will. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm grateful for that. It's, you know, I think back even now to the lessons I learned in those years at the academy. And I, I also want to say, you know, I played athletics and I played soccer at Navy um, just adding to the responsibilities yeah, you had. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. And that was that, but that was a that was an amazing time. And I actually think that as much emphasis as the Naval Academy put on leadership and critical thinking, my my time on the soccer field at Navy actually was the best application of some of that stuff wow. that if in and through athletics. Yeah. And I don't think that needs to be the case for everybody. And obviously not everybody is involved with athletics. People have other sure. things that they're a part of. But for me, it was almost like I was listening to it in the classroom and then I was able to apply it on the athletic field. Right. Which was preparing me, I think, in a really interesting way for a military life. I mean, it's, it's, seems, it's kind of like a battlefield. It's it just there's, there's less on the line. It is, yeah, but it feels that way. And at the academy, the the interesting thing about that specific athletic environment is, and my coach specifically, I, I just give him lots of credit, and I yeah. just appreciate him so much for what he did for us. But he approached our team 
through the context of he was actually developing people that were going to go to war. Yeah. And so that was a real element, even on the soccer field. Right. And we had guys that had gone before me who unfortunately were lost in yeah. military yeah. Um, engagements. And he had coached those guys. And that was never lost on him. So as yeah. he coached us, he knew he had this responsibility to actually help prepare us for that. Wow. So in some ways, like I, I just was very fortunate to be in that kind of program with that kind of mentor um, and be given a certain level of leadership responsibility, even yeah. at that age, that really to this day still shapes the way I think about things. Well, and you threw in a, there's two words you use that if someone wasn't paying attention, they might think, all right, he was in the military, whatever. Yeah. You said special operations. Yeah. Now, if you yeah. work for an accounting firm, <laughs> special operations doesn't mean the same thing as I'd imagine it is in the, right. na in the Navy. But yeah. you went from the Naval Academy straight yeah. to working full-time in the Navy, right? That's right. Yeah. And, be, and then you went into special ops. So mm -hmm. what was that like? What, or at least what are you allowed to tell us about what that yeah. was like? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I went into that. I'll go back to leadership and team because uh -huh. it still shapes, again, the things I've been involved in ever since, and it's greatly shaped my career, is uh, playing sports, wanting to be on a team, loving the team environment, loving leadership within a team environment, love all that. Um, that's what actually drove me into special ops. Now, special ops obviously has a very unique mission set. Yeah. Um, I was less sort of drawn to it for the mission as, a, as much as I was for the culture and the environment of the team in and of itself. But within Naval Special Operations, essentially we were uh, the Navy's bomb squad. Right. So we dealt with, um, I specifically dealt with underwater mines, landmines, IEDs, booby traps. Wow. Um, spent a lot of time in the Middle East, Iraq specifically, uh, deployed to the Middle East several times. So my operating area was Middle East and Africa, East Africa. And, um, yeah, traveled around that section of the world, and you can, as you can probably imagine, post nine eleven environment. Yeah. So combat environments and so forth, um, executing missions and traveling with anywhere from uh, two teammates, actually one teammate in some cases, to up to eight teammates, and I was the officer in charge of that uh, that team, and. Uh, yeah, we spent the better part of four years traveling around Middle East and Africa. That's pretty, is that pretty young jobs. to be in charge of a team like that? I mean, you were in your 20s. Yeah, um, not in military culture. I mean, yeah, I mean, you. once we graduated from the academy, we were commissioned officers. So we were thrown directly into leadership uh, roles, which is kind of interesting because I don't know where else you can gain experience like that where you graduate from essentially college, and now you're in charge of people who have been doing this job for 20 years, like the next day, you know, after you get through your yeah. training and things like that, but real, yeah. you know, in a relatively very short amount of time. So you were time. leading teams of people older than you? My, yes, my second in command, if you will, was my senior chief. He was 19 and a half years in the Navy doing that job. Now, it's it's a pretty cool um way that it's set up and, and i'll back up the naval yeah. academy knows this right so the navy they've been doing this for a long time yeah so they're preparing students to assume these roles of leadership and responsibility when you get there now like the foregone conclusion is when you show up you don't know anything right yeah. so like there's this 
there's this reality to you have authority, but <laughs> you don't know much. Well, that's an interesting aspect of authority. Yes. You have someone who's 19 and a half years doing this, yeah. older than you. Right. Now you're in a position of quote unquote authority. Yeah. But you need to be humble enough to admit you don't even know what you're doing, or at least not as much as he or she does. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's the key. If you lack that humility, you're going to get eaten alive because um, the environments, I think, um, are too difficult uh, not to uh, learn and learn fast. And if you don't have um, some posture of humility, you're not going to learn because you think you figured it out. And, um, but there's a balance there, right? Because again, you, you maintain or in that position for me, I maintained a position of authority that I also had to take responsibility for, mm -hmm. but also understand I had to learn. And so my, my second in command, the senior chief that I had was an amazing guy. And, um, there's also the known expectation that these senior members are going to help train you because they need you as well, right? They need yeah. you to make good decisions and they want to equip you to make those good decisions in very difficult environments. War. I mean, that's a that's a difficult environment. So <clears throat> second in command had more experience, so it yeah. took humility on his part. Absolutely. Why that yeah. why that approach? Why weren't you the second in command to him if he was the more experienced? So how does that yeah, work? Yeah, I mean because I mean because of military rank. I mean, that's oh, just the okay. way it yeah, works. Yeah. So my team was um, eight enlisted sailors, and I was the one officer. And that's I the see. way those teams are set up. So I was the off officer in charge of a team of enlisted sailors. So there's mutual humility. Absolutely. Where he says, he outranks me, I submit to him. And you say, he, he outlives me, yes. <laughs> and he knows more than me in life. I, I'm going to learn from and him. And I have yeah. to learn from him. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and in your becomes... case, you don't just lose a soccer match if you get it wrong. Someone could die. Yeah. I mean, you know, as you can tell just by the description of our job, we were the bomb squad, right? So, um, you don't take we actually, stuff lightly. No, you know, not at all. And, you know, I mean, to, to sharpen focus here, yeah. our, when we walked into um, bomb school, which was a 10 month program. Um, three tests a week for 10 months on bombs. And if you fail one, you get one retest. If you fail that, you're out of the program. Wow. Because there's no there's no margin for error. And I mean, when you walk into the... It's really fascinating. You walk into school, the, the banner on the wall, as soon as you walk in, is total success or total failure. Whoa. Like, so that's the stakes, right? There are... They make it very clear from the day you walk in that that's what they're talking about. Yeah. And so... Um, you know, there's the, you know, the stereotypical, well, it's red wire, blue wire, pick one. Yeah. But it's all to, or nothing, it's right? It's all or nothing because there's not a second chance when you're disarming an underwater mine. You have to get it right the first time you have to. So, you know, that's, that's the environment we're in. So the, in this, in this leadership, from this leadership standpoint, you really have to understand and know or I did at that time, and all, all the people going through it in the same way have to understand and know like how much we actually really do know and how much we don't know, and we have to lean on others because um, the, really, truthfully, people's lives depend upon it, and uh, that's not a small thing. Was this, this is a really obvious question, so yeah. I'll do it in two parts. Yeah. One is, was it stressful? And I imagine the answer yeah. has to be yes. Yeah. But how did you deal with the stress of it? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so the answer is yes. Um, yeah. 
you deal with stress, and I think this applies to everything through mm. preparation okay. and through training. You know, when we went to war, when we went to Iraq, we went into a very... I was there on the first day, so I was there on the initial push, and there's... We knew nothing or very little other than what intelligence had told us. We really didn't know that the the environment we would be going into, of course. So there's just tons of unknown, right? Yeah. So very hard to predict what's going to happen when you step off that so helicopter. So unknown leads to stress. Got, it's got to. Yes. But you'd prepared even for That's right. being stressed. So, yeah, it's a fascinating thing. Um, through unbelievable repetition of training... Uh-huh. I mean, I don't, I can't remember being afraid. I mean, I'm not saying we weren't nervous or anxious, but I just think that the preparation was so high. The training was so high and so thorough. We felt very confident and equipped that we could accomplish the mission. That's awesome. And you have to have that confidence going into environments like that. You cannot be um, shaky on a landmine. Like you have to be very confident. You understand the problem. You can resolve the problem and do it well. Um, and military is interesting, and I think it does apply to critical thinking in this way well. And that is uh, the the environment and the training is very highly disciplined, right? And it's very very disciplined, um, and it fosters a culture of discipline, um, so that you feel very confident. Yeah. In, but you feel very confident in what you can do, but it also breeds confidence in a very undisciplined and a chaotic environment. Oh, okay. So by coaching discipline, you prepare yourself to actually handle variables. Right. So it's a really interesting wow. sort of irony to the way that military training happens. And um, it was effective. I mean, for me, it was very effective and I learned a lot. In 10 years professionally, yeah. plus the four in school. Yeah. Did it, and you're not doing it anymore, right. was it like, man, I don't want to live this way. This is so high stress. Yeah. And even though you could handle it, it's, it, was there sort of an end date to what you wanted to do and how do you wanted to live like that? Yeah, I, I, I had the hardest time, and my wife would attest to this, the, the last year um, deciding whether or not I was going to get out. I actually loved my job. I loved yeah. the culture. I loved the teams. I loved what we were doing. Um, there were two things that I think you really just did, or maybe three. One was for family life, it's extremely difficult. Okay. And that's really that's really clear. I moved nine times in 10 years. Uh-huh. Uh, and so I had two small children at the time. And, um, and if you remember back, when I was thinking about getting out 2005, 2006, the Middle East was still very hot. I mean, it was a very difficult environment. Um, people in my field, um, it was a tough go. I mean, there was just in Baghdad alone in 2005, I think, there were 250 bomb calls per day in Baghdad. Just what? in one city in one day. So two-man teams all day long, 24 hours a day, going out and responding to, responding to these And every time, or potentially every time, it's... Yeah, it's life or there's death. A, this wire or this wire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. life or death, yeah. yeah. And really tricky scenarios and situations, of course. So high-stress environment. Um, but, you know, like I said, you, we train for that. I, I, I think it was just time for me to take on a new lifestyle. And yeah. um, there were things, even outside of the military, I wanted to learn. 
and yeah. I wanted to be exposed to, and I wanted to try to take on. So, so you took that 10, 14 years of training yeah. and experience transition to yeah. corporate world. Yeah. And what was that? Yeah, so got out of the Navy in 2006. So I decided to get out before I had an opportunity. And so I uh-huh. wanted to make a I wanted to make a life decision. So you didn't have a job lined up. I did But you had to you, you had to, it was time to renew and commit to lots more years. That's right. right? And yeah. you didn't want to commit to yeah. that, right? It was a scenario where I would have signed up for at least two more years mm-hmm. at the time or resign my commission. I see. And um, and I thought to myself, you know, you can retire from the military 20 years. So if I would have taken two more, I probably I was I felt like I was making a decision to just to go the whole do way. the rest, right? right. I, I see. So I was at that make or break point, yeah. and that's why it was such a difficult decision to make. It was either pursue the career in the military, and I had a good place in standing in the military, and I could have went and did good things. So there. twenty years is the window, is the retirement window. That actually, yeah. when I think back, when you pointed out that the guy was nineteen and a half years, yeah. it it now. Yes, that, that amount of time is a really specific amount of time. It very much when is you're a, when you're in um, in the bomb yes. profession, you're six months from retirement, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, we we always everybody knows their time in the military by to the month. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's not even to the year. You know to the month how long you've been in, <laughs> right? And how much longer you have until retirement. So you made that decision because yeah. I wanted to make the lifestyle. I wanted to make the decision on its own merit. Right. I wanted yes. to know whether or not I wanted to be in the military and decided that it was time for, and Leslie and I decided together it was time for us to kind of move on to the next phase of yeah. our life. And so I joined a, uh, after I made that decision, um, we, I pursued a, a startup and oh, okay. yeah, so there was corporate opportunities. There's like the fortune 500 companies have opportunities for, military officers and they try to move them into their leadership roles and leadership training programs because of all the critical thinking experience that we're coming to the table with, right? Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. It's pretty substantial. So there's grooming process there. To this day, I I don't really know why I decided that wasn't the best path for me other than just jump into a three-person, four-person startup at the time of a technology company back in Philadelphia. Um, talking about cloud communications in 2006 when cloud communications and voice over IP was known by nobody. Uh-huh. Um, in some ways, I, rem- I think, you know, it was very naive and, and, and risky. And, but at the same time, looking back, it's, yeah, it's exactly what I should have done. It was awesome. And it was, gave me experiences I could have not have gotten anywhere else. So you went from a leadership role to a different yeah. But you were still leading a team. Yeah. So I was the chief operating officer okay. of this yeah. startup and then the chief executive officer of the company as it continued to develop. Yeah. So I... But it didn't stay at four. No. It grew pretty quickly. Yeah. Talk about yeah. that. So, um, yeah, startup environment, we, uh, you know, it was a small team. Again, I, I was attracted to it because of what it was. It was another small team trying to do something awesome. And yeah, yeah. I was like, that sounds great. That reminds me of all the stuff I've ever done. And and minus the bomb part. Yeah, right. yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of funny because you know there's risk at every level, and yeah. so now it was almost the the financial risk sure. to my family. Actually, in some ways, was more stressful to that makes sense to actually. me and my family than 
military the, has quote unquote guarantees, so to speak. It's of, probably like commitment and secure, contract, right? Yeah, it's one of the more secure jobs I could have had. Yeah, and stayed with healthcare and all that stuff yeah. to a startup environment. Come on, I mean, it's like the riskiest. Although I will say there, there was the total success or total failure. Element. That's kind of well. That's you know they planted seeds for me in my, in my brain since I was eighteen, I guess, and they're they're playing themselves out. But um, yeah. So I get in, and the we just competed hard. I mean, that, I yeah. think that's really. Um, we, but it was a to- total success, total failure. We invested our own money. We, with myself and, and our partners, we, um, we were all in. We raised money from friends and family. My invest, yeah. my original investor base was my parents, my brother, my best friend, my best friend's parents, my aunts and uncles. So everybody sitting around the Christmas and Easter tables, like, were my investor pool. Like, I well, could really, what that, what I hear is they were less so believing in the technology and they're believing in you um yeah maybe at days i would have wished they were investing in the technology right it made it easier but um it that added to the stress of it that was exciting and you know but we we believed in what we were trying to pull off we saw an opportunity with this technology in the market we were selling to businesses and we we worked our butts up. I mean, I'll tell you yeah. for the five first five years of that company, um, it was constant. I mean, we just worked all the time, and that's. And then you found yourself overseeing a larger team. Yes, so we grew to about one hundred and thirty people, and so I imagine the direct reports weren't that many. Couldn't have been. No, and I mean, they all, yeah, five or six. Probably, yeah, right, you know, something like that. But you're overseeing one hundred and thirty team. Yep. CEO at that point. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And yep. And then we sold the company, and then, um, you know, I just bec- I became CEO of the the company that actually bought us. Oh, I see. Yeah. So, Whoa. Which is pretty interesting. Yeah, that was an interesting. That's story. not how I normally think that stuff goes down. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't normally, but it was um, in a technology world, we were the growing entity, so it made sense for that to happen because okay. I understood that sector of the business. Ah, uh, yeah. And that yeah. was the future of the business. To the extent that, that it makes was. sense. So, yeah, and so um, that you know lived on for three years uh, before <clears throat> I left there, and it was. So that was a total of eight. Or total nine? of yeah, close to nine years. Close to nine years, yeah. and was it a success in terms of like the financial risk that you took initially? Um, yeah, you know, I guess like in business is funny though because yeah, I mean, sure. As far as like, would your would your we parents... paid our shareholders back? Yeah, yes. right, yeah. yeah. So that was a success, and that was a huge weight off, I think, mm-hmm. for all of us when we were able to do that. But um, and you didn't move nine times in ten years. No, hours. yeah. But we was it stressful? Place. Yes, that was that's the thing yeah. about businesses. Your the stress doesn't go away because you're in in business you're only as good as your last quarter um, and you got to keep growing. I mean, the impetus to grow, not because of, not for growth sake, actually because, especially in technology, if you're not growing, you're dying. Oh yeah. You, you're going to go out of business. So you have to Everything fight. changes so fast. So fast. What are some of the critical thinking skills that you learned distinctly, specifically in the corporate world? Yeah. Um, I actually think the competitive nature of it. So that was different uh-huh. than the military environment. Military environment, I think the, the critical thinking resolved, you know, was framed around mission accomplishment. 
you have to accomplish the mission. I yeah. mean, you're only there for one purpose, to accomplish the mission. Yeah. And that, that does carry over into corporate leadership as well. But, it, you know, obviously mission accomplishment looks different, but it, it, and it's in a very competitive environment. So like in the military and like in combat, um, but in a very different nuanced way, you're really trying to anticipate and think about the market, right? And the technology shifts and things like that. So you've really got to understand the landscape of your market. You've got to understand the landscape of your product, how it provides value to your customer and how you run your business and lead your organization, understanding those things. Yeah. And so it's very, very nuanced on a regular basis. And I would also say the thing that was different about, um, I don't mean to sound sort of crass about this in the military, but we have to accomplish the mission. I don't really care how you feel about that. Right. That's not an issue for us. Like if you're on my team, like whether or not you want to do this, it doesn't matter. Whether or not you, you feel like you're having a bad day or not, I don't it's really irrelevant care. To it's what irrelevant to we're doing. Here, yeah, obviously right? we want to trust each other. As friends off duty, maybe. Sure, not yeah. right now. <laughs> exactly right. I don't really care. Like we're in Iraq and there is something we need to resolve. We're going to go do that. Um, and we both understand that though, right? And that's not the case in I mean, corporate world. Corporate America, no, absolutely not. You, like these are people's livelihoods and lives and their feelings and their perspectives are tied into the way the company goes. And I think like you had, like for me, I had to pay a lot more attention to that environment in a way, in order to lead the company well. How did you transition into the kind of leader that cared about their feelings? Just to put it. Yeah. That's bluntly. A, I, I mean, yeah. And that's a great question. I, I, but I, I, I would say I was, I was really fortunate and blessed to grow up in an environment that was empathetic, right? Yeah, I had okay. parents and yeah, family yeah. and friends that I grew up in that kind of environment. And so being back in that environment from a leadership standpoint, I didn't think it was unnatural for me. I just like that. I think that's the way people should interact. I don't yeah. think, I don't think, and I'm not taking away from it anything from military leaders because there's unbelievable leaders and uh, and people men and women who make great transitions outside yeah. of the military mm -hmm. but i don't think all do uh -huh. because they sometimes can't adopt that style of leadership in all cases right so um maybe that makes them more effective leaders in the military than maybe I ever was. But oh, the transition I think is, um, is unique. And I think you have to really get your head around that pretty quickly if you want to be successful outside of the military. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because the, um, the critical thinking programs and leadership, the leadership development programs at the fortune 500 companies, if you will, were providing, I think are really focused on that. They're yeah. taking the, the building blocks of leadership that have been given to military leaders and developing them to be successful in this new environment, which does ask you or demand from you to think um, in a more nuanced way in some cases. Was it the kind of, so I'm, I'm envisioning this, especially city life, yeah, business, money, making yeah. money. Yeah. Was it, I'm envisioning your life being, instead of being on the other side of the world, mm -hmm. You're just on the other side of the city, but still not home. Yeah. Was it kind of like that where it's like work yeah. hours are brutal? Yeah. Um, I think it was, I think it was harder in corporate life because 
I was never home. And even yeah. when I was home, I wasn't home. What do you mean by that? Yeah, like just mentally checked out. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely on the phone. Um, and, and was it and, was it because of because you didn't want to fail, or was it because you always knew that one more phone call made more money? What was it? Um, for me specifically, it was. Um, I think it was the former, the fear of failure. There was too many personal relationships tied into what I was doing. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I, I would admit, I, I'm one never to be satisfied with the status quo. Yeah. And if I'm not growing, if I'm not leaning forward into things, I, you know, it, it, it doesn't really work for me. And um, it's yeah. just kind of my personality. And I, I like to grow. I like yeah. to grow teams. Uh, if if an organization asked me to maintain the team, maintain the status quo and not worry about growth, I'm not your person. That's probably not going to work for me. I would just get very bored with that kind of environment. So to some and extent... It sounds like you would even assume that that mentality leads to failure or can. Yeah. And I think when even back, if I'm you know thinking about myself back yeah. then... Um, there's definitely some level of immaturity too that, hmm. um, and I and I think this is where I was personally affected by a lot of this, and I think leaders have to check themselves of this all the time, is your identity gets wrapped up into it, uh, right? And that's a that's that was a real thing for me, and really, it probably in both scenarios. Navy and yeah, but I think I think the corporate side heightened that though. Hmm. I think it really did. I think like the competitive nature. You see friends being successful, and you see people advancing their careers, and you see that and the other, and you know you start comparing yourself against those things, and that's a real thing. And um, and for me, yeah, there was a constant pressure to keep going. Um, yeah. One, my friends and family, and everybody knew was were my investor pool yeah to I, I felt a huge burden for the employees of the company that we had asked them to join us and to um i really wanted to succeed on their behalf as well yeah that we carried a lot of weight it's 130 there. families yeah. i stressed about payroll every other week right I mean, yeah. every single time um and so there was real pressure i think for all that so yeah i was i was always on um and that lasted for, for almost nine years. I, I think the hardest out of all of my career, the the last couple of years of the corporate experience, the pressure was so high. I think when I look at my career in totality, that were probably the hardest years I've, I've ever had. And was it in your mind, looking back, related directly to the being bought out? Um. No, I think it was the demands and expectations of others and okay. being able to respond to them. Um, at that time, it was just a different shareholder base. It was a uh, different employee base, a bigger employee base, um, more shareholders, higher levels of financial investment. You know, we're talking about millions of dollars at that point in time through of, of investor money uh, through public markets. And... Um, that's that carries a, a ton of a ton of stress in its own way, and I, I mean I don't say that I I can't say all that to to sort of indicate I didn't like it. <laughs> I did. I mean it was really tough, yeah, but yeah. I was challenged by it. But 
I grew a lot as a leader and critical thinker. I think you know pressure is one of those things as a leader and that you have to be able to deal with. I think that's sure. part of the game or else you don't really need to be there. I've always wanted to ask you this, the, mm-hmm. the question I'm about to ask. Do you think it's inevitable mm-hmm. if you're going to be the kind of leader that is made for growing mm-hmm. things? Mm-hmm. Is it inevitable to hit that? Like to go, if you're good at, quote unquote, good at it, yeah. you got a team of four yeah. and it goes, and there's 130 or 100, whatever, 130,000. And then it just is just like, I don't want to live like this anymore. Yeah. Is that inevitable if you're good at leading? To keep growing? To, to keep growing and finally say, I don't want like this. Or like the mm-hmm. shareholder thing is this isn't what it used to be. And yeah. I, or another way of asking it, yeah. does it always have to lead to, and I was never home with my family? Yeah, man, that's such a good question. Um, no, I don't think it's inevitable. I think that's actually really flawed thinking. I think that yeah. we've been kind of fooled into that. And I'll go back to, I think, you know, me being much younger than for what it's worth a decade ago, um, a lot of immaturity. I mean, yeah, I was effective in my leadership, in my leadership role and I was professional enough to be able to do these things well. But, um, yeah, I, I think, uh, I hope that I lead differently now. I hope that I lead with a better awareness and balance. Um, I know I probably, eh, I know this for a fact, I, I still, struggle with the balance of things i'm not sure i even know what balance means you know and can you say you know you have work-life balance i don't really know what that means i mean no i'm not into that phrase personally i'm more of work and rest balance i think that's healthy and i think presence is important that if i'm at work i'm very present at work if i'm at home i I attempt at least to be very present at home yeah that's certainly fail at both but, you know, oh, that's the challenge. But it's also maybe relative to 10 years ago, too, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So to, to answer your question, I don't think this um, this final stage of burnout or this final stage Yeah, yeah, of, that's a good way yeah, of saying it. Or yeah. this, like, well, you're going to do it until you burn out, and then you take a break and then find something else to do. I, I, right. That's just flawed, right? Like, yeah. we're, we're not designed. We shouldn't be living lives like that. No. But we buy that. We yep. buy that lie, if you will, and um, I don't think we have to. Right. And I do think, for what it's worth, uh, you know, I talk to people in different sectors still. I think people are becoming more aware of that. I, I think so. I, I do. And I, yeah. and I hope, I'm hopeful that, you know, even corporate America, for all of its flaws, it does a lot of good, too. Yeah, uh, sure. I hope we we get that a bit better than we used to. I mean, I, know, I certainly know a lot of people in Boone that get that. Yeah, you know? for sure. Yeah. But before we go transition into like the next, you know, the, your current yeah. season that you're in. Yeah. I, I want to talk about a principle that you have shared with me because yeah. I think now's the time instead okay. of waiting until yeah. later about yeah. your, your kind of like um, up into the right principle. Yeah. Because it, it's, it's kind of what I was accidentally asking yeah, just now. Yeah, so right. talk about this. What is the up into the right principle that you... Yeah, so the, 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 it goes back to sort of this flawed thinking. And yeah. I think that this flawed thinking that I had for so many years, and um, I really am grateful to 
to Leslie because I think Leslie helped give me confidence to look at it differently. Um, yeah. And that is the up until the right concept for me is, you know, wherever we are in our lives or in our careers, let's, let's just keep it in the context of careers for now. Sure. Right. There's this expectation I think that we all have because culture shares that expectation with us in so many ways, which is that wherever we are, the next step for our career is up and to the right. Meaning like in, on the graph, the up right. and to the right is the trajectory you want revenue to grow or profits to grow, right? That means mm-hmm. over time you're increasing value, right? right? So there's this expectation of up and to the right of career paths, which is I did this, I led an organization at this level, my next step is to lead a team or organization at the next level and the next level after that and the next level after that and you're going to keep going. Well, I, in 2014, thought uh, about that in the context of my own career actually very strongly. I would say even 2011 to 2014, that was a pretty strong concept. And then in 2014, when I was looking for my next gig, if you will, there was this um, expectation that I was the CEO of this publicly traded microcap company that I was going to take the next step in my career to a larger organization, C-level, whatever it was. And what I've, what I found sort of through that experience and in talking to organizations where I could have taken that next step was that I didn't like it. And what I thought, what I think it created for me was, um, if you think about it in the context of boundaries or a box, I had expectations of a type of job or role that was suited for me. I had expectations of the type of salary I should receive based on the last salary that I've had. I had expectations of the type of industry that I was in because I was from tech. I should expect to go to tech or stay in that because that's the network. That's the experience. That's all. And the, and also the geography of where I lived, which was northeastern part of the United States. When you put all that together, it makes the world very small. Right. So you have now these very set boundaries about what opportunities are actually available to you because you have this up and to the right expectation. And um, those expectations are interesting because they're largely self-driven, but they're also expectations of others, family members, friends, colleagues and others that expect you to do these things. And there's this personal pride element that plays into this that if I don't do this what will they think of me what would they have thought of like how far I've come or what I'm yeah. doing now right and there's this element of like personal pride but also like letting others down and then there's this expectation of um, financial security right there's this thing about like we, we are expected to take the next step in these financial scenarios and the security or in what I think is actually perceived security. Mm -hmm. And so I had this box around the expectation of my future and it wasn't up into the right box. And, um, it felt very constraining, man. I mean, I I just don't know how else to say it 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 felt like I had created a, a prison. Yeah. That mentality can lead to Every home you're in, every car you drive is a temporary one until it goes up and to the right. Up and to the right. 
job title, yeah. amount of money, everything. This clothing. Car, this car has to become that car. This house has to become that house. Neighborhood. Neighborhood. Everything. Kids' school. Kids' school. Right. Programs are in. I mean, it can go on and on and on. And I mean, the the reality is, unfortunately, there are millions upon millions of us living in that cycle, and. I have a lot of people in my in my world that live in that cycle, and um, it, it's it's a really strong one. I mean, it carries yeah. a lot of momentum, and um, I I got to the point, and I think you know my current career and the the discovery of this opportunity really helped to just break down those walls of expectation, and right. really, really when when that happened, and I realized and this is where leslie really was a great encourager that we didn't need that stuff we really didn't and that wasn't actual security that we were we thought we were getting it was perceived security and if those things aren't our boundaries anymore if they aren't our walls then anything is possible and i actually remember the moment that that realization happened and it was like a million pounds came off my shoulders like i remember the specific moment and i just thought hold on a second it doesn't have to be in philly yeah in tech yeah and if anything is possible (laughs) oh my word like how exciting is the rest of our lives It, it it really opens the possibility to anything if financial expectation is not a boundary if industry is not a boundary if the expectations of others isn't a boundary. If geography isn't a boundary, and I could live anywhere I wanted to live, and so forth and so on. Wow. And this applies, I feel like anyone listening can can think about how this would apply to them in different ways. I, I absolutely think so. And I, th- I have many friends, and I talk to many people, and I talk to a lot of young people who have degrees in certain areas and, and so forth, and they think that this is the next thing. It's expected of me. I have to do this. Or they feel very, very stuck that this is where I am and this is, I have to, you know, they just don't know where to go. Right. But if they took those boundaries off themselves and the way that they think about their life, it gets really exciting actually. And, and I can say it because, here. yeah, because I lived through that and yeah. I don't know it's not a pipe dream. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was soon thereafter I found a job posting on LinkedIn for CEO yeah. of Wine to Water. Yeah. All yeah. all roads lead to Boone, North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> and they, maybe they do. But uh, it's been, I mean, I don't even know what to say. The, so now you're CEO, you're five years in? Five years, coming up on five years. Yeah, Wine to Water, and in, in yeah. case uh, people don't know what that is, what is that? Yeah, so we're, we're an international water organization. We provide clean water to people that need it around the world. And, yeah. uh at our basic core, that's what we do. And we do it, in my opinion, at a very high level. And yeah. um, we love it. I mean, just it, it's just amazing to be a part of something with this kind of mission. And I can tell you, five years ago, almost to the day, I never would have dreamed I was sitting in the seat working yeah. for an organization like this, doing the kind of work that we're doing, surrounded by the type of people that are on this team and the type of people around the world that I get a chance to know through this work. I mean, if I would have, if I would have just continued on that up into the right path of expectation and lived inside that box, it, it gives me great pause to think what I would have missed. 
and yeah. I can't even get my head around what that, what disappointment. Right. Me. And, and I know we've talked about this, but just want to remind anyone listening that we don't want to make it seem like that humanitarian working for a humanitarian organization is somehow better than Absolutely. corporate America. Cause you and I both know some of the people in corporate America are financially contributing to a lot of people I, getting clean water. I mean, I, so it's a beautiful thing. The reality is every one of our, I mean, not everyone, but 99 plus percent of our donors work for corporations. Yeah, and you have friends in the our, military that and, have given to yeah. And my military friends. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, it, it, all this to say, this is just my journey. Um, yeah. And like I appreciate my military life, I appreciate my corporate experience. Mm-hmm. And for me, they both directly applied to, they, they continuously applied to my ability to do my job in this role here. Now. Yeah, they prepared you for for something. A- absolutely. But you, you came into another small team. Yeah. Wasn't it about five? Yeah. Exactly. So right. almost the same number of people sitting in the room as yeah. when you had the startup, I know, the tech like startup. I'm like a sucker for these things. Like, um, you know. But not the same goals per se. Right. Uh, but there is sort of a up and to the right thing that you do want. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. you want to grow. Yeah. And that's... Growth can be inward, but I'm really yeah. speaking of like numbers and people reached and people um, yeah. provided water for them and yeah. better lives. Yeah. That now, how many are on staff? Um, about twenty here in the U.S. and about twenty-five international. International, so about forty-five total. So that's a that's a good thing. Yeah. But it's also it's the predictable up and to the right, sort of. Yeah. And then the beneficiaries up and to the right. No yeah. one would argue with that being a good thing. Right. So how do you? navigate through not doing the predictable up and to the right when in this case up and to the right leads to nothing but positive stuff right and so i mean the 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 balance of it i mean and and i would even probably tell you i mean folks around me people on my team my wife at times would say it's out of balance like we're pushing too hard oh and I think like having that open accountability, I hope I have that with my team and, I, and my wife for sure to say, and the ears to hear, like we're pushing too hard and we need to, we yeah. need to be careful. So how do you, yeah. I mean, I know you already admitted yeah. that sometimes you fail at that yeah. work-life balance or however you want to word it. Yeah. But I mean, that's, that's you being humble about it and I appreciate it, but I also think that you're good at it. Yeah, and, and I so think, how do you do that? Like, yeah, and that's the reconciliation like for myself in that is after having been doing this for a long time and and um, doing a lot of internal work on yeah. myself and, yeah, yeah. and understanding who I am and understanding what makes me tick and understanding what I'm actually good at and other areas where I'm not so good, obviously, and just doing a lot of sort of reflection on all those things for a long time and that's a that's an ongoing process of maturity of course yeah. and you know i certainly know way more about myself today than i did 5 years ago 10 years ago 20 years ago and i'm always sure. learning right um but all that to say i'm also very confident in the fact that i help grow things yeah. that's what i do like there's a lot of people that do different things and a lot of people have different skill sets but mine is growing teams and organizations that's just what i do so there's this there is a balance between doing that 
effectively, I think, and, and continuing to try to do that in the best way possible and doing it in a way that is actually healthy yeah. and trying to be very aware of that tension. But because, you know, I don't believe that up and to the right leads to this inevitable burnout like we talked about. Yeah, yeah. I think that um, what I try to do and I, I hope I'm doing is growing in a positive direction um, in a healthier way. Yeah. But like truth be told, let me be very clear. Yeah. I intend to grow it. Like that's yeah, my yeah. goal. Like I, I want to see this team grow. I want to see our effectiveness get better sure. and grow. And in this mission, I want to do that. And we talk about this a lot inside the walls of the organization because a lot of people need it. Like there's a lot yeah. of people affected by the global water crisis and we have a platform right. that I know can help them. So I want yeah. to grow in a healthy way, but I also want to grow as fast as possible so we can actually execute our mission. So I want to, I want to dig into this a bit because I feel like even though I agree with that sentiment, yeah, it can, it can suck you into never stopping working. Yes. So you have military one is it's my job. I was told I had to, it's life or death. We uh -huh. got to stop the bomb. Yeah. Corporate world. It's, technology and growing and there's more staff and I owe it to the staff. Yeah. Now you're in humanitarian and it's like, what better excuse is there to yeah. always work than these people need water? That's right. So how do you, how do you ever stop working? Yeah. Ever. Yeah. If it's in the name of someone getting clean water. Yeah. But I think like, I think you just do. I mean, I don't mean to oversimplify that, but there's the reality of it, right? I, we are not going to resolve the water crisis for everybody tomorrow. Some days you, you just have to put the pencil down and go home. And I think we do that. I think yeah. we, we work really hard and we play very hard. What's a pencil? I'm just kidding. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think we stop banging on our keyboards <laughs> or phones sometimes and go home. You're right. But, um, but you can apply that to any business, right? Because there's always something to do. There's always there's something. always so it's that's not unique to humanitarian work. Now you, you might be able to attempt to justify that. At a I feel like level. that's all it is. You, you're allowed to justify. It. Yeah, and I think that's just mm -hmm. kidding yourself, right? Yeah, that's that's another trap, if you will. Yeah. And um, I, I don't feel that way. I, I I really think that we have great opportunity to reach people. Um, I also know, and there's this, there's this healthy humility I think that Wine to Water has, is that we're not going to reach everybody. We're going to reach everybody we can. Yeah. And there's a reasonability to that. But the ones that we do mm -hmm. and the ones we get to be in relationship with around the world, um, mm -hmm. we want to do that really, really well. And also another thing I know about you, just by knowing a lot of the ins and outs of Wine to Water, is that you value the lives of the staff mm -hmm. and it would be sort of an absurdity to say that you care so much about these people around the world that don't have water and right. then somehow not care about the 45 people right. that you're helping to lead and they have families and they have lives and livelihoods. Right. And I, I think as leaders, you know, for me and my role, I think that what you just said is actually really important. And I, hope my staff would agree that I do. They do. Um, you know, it's funny, and, and I don't mind admitting, admitting this on podcasts and, and openly and publicly, my focus is actually not the water part. My personal focus, right? My, my personal focus is actually the, the health of the organization. 
which includes the staff and our and, financial and that seems to be traced back to your naval academy training and your navy experience that's right I, I am a huge huge believer that as leaders our core role is to invest in the team yeah and then when we get the team right specifically in this instance with wine to water if we do that really really well water will happen and it will happen in in amazing volumes if we don't do the team part well if we are a broken team if we are a dysfunctional team i don't care how much money we raise we won't do water well so for me i think the core focus is the health and the development of the organization which includes obviously the team and that enables the effectiveness of the actual mission in and of itself to reach people with clean water. And I do think as leaders, we need to stay cognizant of that. I think sometimes leaders are way too focused on the outcome. And I say this from, again, experience and failing at this, focused on the outcome of the product or service or revenue or what have you. And if that's the core focus and we don't pay attention to what's going on in the walls it will eventually catch up with us and it will not catch up with us in a good way. And so as a leader and a critical thinker, I think maintaining the balance of those two things and the vision for them is, is super important. Man, that's really good. Yeah. So you, you got three seasons. Yeah. Can you, can you try to sum up critical thinking for us, at least through your experiences, through and working in the Navy in that high-stress environment, working in corporate America in that different version of high-stress environment, different kind of goals, different kind of measures of success. Yeah. Now five years into leading a growing humanitarian aid organization, mm -hmm. what can you glean that they all have in common of, of how you can glean from that and say to the listener, yeah. here's what it means to be good at critical thinking. Here's what it means to be a good leader. Here's what it means to be a good teammate, problem solver, etc. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a great question. There's so many ways to answer the question. Um, you know, I think a lot of it comes with experience. And that's like a cop-out answer, I know, because, you know, there are real things you can, you can do. But I think with experience, you do get better at these things, right? So um, to the listeners that are maybe younger leaders or even college students, mm -hmm. and, and this is advice I give to people, I would say volunteer for every opportunity you can possibly volunteer for or put yourself in positions wherever possible to make decisions and to lead. Getting that experience is so important to developing leadership and growth. Certainly yeah. emulating leaders you see or studying leadership, which I've done years and years of and, mm -hmm. and really evaluating it and, and understanding it and, and thinking about it academically, yes, do all that stuff. But um, putting yourself in those positions as often as possible, even if they're very uncomfortable, and especially if they're very uncomfortable, they're the areas you're going to grow and learn. And what I've grown, uh, I think, to learn over these last few decades is as regards to what critical thinking is and effective critical thinking is the ability to really understand multiple variables at the same time, okay. right? And really understanding and being able to balance and pay attention to um, things like how the team is feeling, yeah, the quality of the product or outcome, the key relationships or stakeholders that you have, 
um, the fundamental processes and systems that support all those things. Um, the strategic vision and direction and how all those things align to it. I, I think as a critical thinker, never getting so tunnel vision on any one of those elements and many more, but paying attention to all of them at the same time is what makes you successful. And it's not, yeah. a, not a, there isn't a magic wand for this. I think it's literally just showing up every day, putting yourself in a position to make decisions. It's awesome. Understanding how things are in tension yeah. Understanding how things work together, mm-hmm. understanding how teams operate and what makes them thrive. And every team's different because they're made up of human beings, right? Yeah. And every human being's different. Yeah. Um, is the key to critical thinking. It's really understanding all the variables at the same time. That's awesome. Because what it shows is, even though you didn't know too much or hardly anything about the global water crisis right. or how to provide clean water. Right. Well, it's funny. You started in the water, though. I did. And water's <laughs> but, been in my life. And this is an evidence. But you went yeah. water to tech yeah. to a different version of what you would mean by water. Yeah. But you... But I surfed through the you whole were thing. So. In, yeah. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah. But you were in... You were getting experience in critical thinking. And that's what I really what I, I just heard you say is somebody wants to be better at it, get out there and volunteer for something or become part of a team where you're going to have experience. And even if it's... You don't end up in the exact field yeah. you started in. You got better at being that kind of person. Absolutely. And I think that's what the, the thing that people find themselves in. I hear this often is like, you know, I'm, I need to find my, the thing designed for me or I need yeah. to go here and, you know, I'm looking for my next gig. I would say, hold on a second. You know, what else could you possibly learn here, right here, right now? Yeah. And I think, like, if we're very focused on the current opportunities, um, there's a lot to be learned. And, like, yeah. I, when I was in the military and then when I was in corporate, I did have the feel have this sort of feeling that they, as important as those roles were and how much I was gaining from them, yeah, they were also stepping stones to my career. Yeah. Um, and in it. In a continuous process of development and growth, and yeah. you know, I think for folks who um, are younger or or not, just like yeah. wherever they are, find positions where if you want to grow as a leader and you want to grow as a critical thinker, and that's a question. You know, yeah, that's yeah. Not a foregone conclusion for everybody, but um, yeah, put yourself in those positions as much as possible, and don't be afraid to make mistakes. Oh, that's yeah. Amen. It happens. Yeah, it happens. That's good. Um, well, thanks for your time. Thanks yeah, for your example. I mean, on behalf of many of us mm-hmm. in Boone, you really do set a really great and healthy example of what it means to be a leader thank or you, critical man. thinker. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're thank welcome. you, man. I appreciate it. I mean, this is, I love what I do. I mean, I just truthfully love it. I love the, the roles that I've gotten to be a part of, and um, I love my team. So it makes it really a joy to be a part of, yeah. as you know, in this community. It's yeah, awesome. I know. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining in for Concept 18 Critical Thinking. You can go to thingsaboutthings.com for more things.